and welcome back to another episode of Braun and Brains. I'm your host, Rachel Braun, and today I have Dick Vermeil on. Dick Vermeil is a former American football coach who served as the head coach in the NFL for 15 seasons. He was the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles for seven seasons and the St. Louis Rams for three and the Kansas City Chiefs for five. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on today. Do you want to give everybody a little bit of an elevator pitch about yourself or is that pretty much cover it? That covers it, you know, really. That's the end of my coaching career. I started out in high school coaching, you know, in Northern California, then junior college coaching, then at Stanford as an assistant uh, for four years, then at UCLA as a head coach before I moved on to Philadelphia in 1976. Yeah. Awesome. Really cool. So let's rewind to way, way before all of that. So I want to start with growing up. So where did you grow up? I'm pretty sure you didn't grow up on the East Coast. You grew up in California, correct? Yeah, I grew up in the Napa Valley, a little town called Calistoga. It was a town at that time of 1,800 people. Now it's about 4,500. It's the north end of the Napa Valley. When I grew up, it was all about prunes and grapes. Now it's all about grapes and vineyards and wine. <laughs> uh, my dad took over his grandfather's home, my great-grandfather's home on the Italian side of my family in Calistoga. It was a summer home for him who had... The great-grandfather had been very successful in business world in San Francisco, coming over from Italy and uh, did well. So he started buying property in the Napa Valley because it reminded him of Tuscany. So uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be born in the home that he, he owned and then my dad owned. And uh, of the four children in my family, three of them were born in that home. It's still there. It's now in a doctor's office there on Washington Street next to the Catholic Church in Calistoga. And it was, a, it was a, a great way to begin life. Small town, everybody knew everybody, farm, rural community. My dad made a living as a mechanic. He turned my great-grandfather's barn behind the house into a garage and then worked there all his life until he passed away. Uh, the Owl Garage, called the Owl Garage because he worked at nights as well as during the day. And he had 3A and National Automobile Towing Services and Auto and Body Shop. And that's what he did, Vin. My brothers and I all grew up working in the garage and me maybe more than the two younger brothers. So my one year younger brother went on into the profession mechanically and then got his master's degree and taught the mechanics and that kind of stuff, both the junior college and high school. So uh, it was a, it was a great way to grow up because everybody knew everybody, everybody had the right to discipline the other child and was getting out of line and your own parents didn't see it going on. You know, it was uh, a huge family community where food, friends, wine, and, and faith were all very, very high priorities, which was fun. And actually, again, Rachel, kid, we had very, very few restrictions. You know, I mean, I think we all had a shotgun and a rifle by the time we were 12 or 13 years <laughs> old. You could ride right through town on the bicycle with your shotgun and the handlebars and go up into the mountains, you know, in minutes <laughs> and be hunting and spend all day and come home when it's dark. So, you know, kids can't do that stuff anymore. And we're, we're, there were a number of kids in our neighborhood and we, we just lived outside. I don't think kids live outside anymore, but it was, it was really a, a great, great environment. And you, 
you in that environment, you establish uh, lifelong friends. That I'm 84 years old. I, I've had friends for 84 years. Okay, <laughs> so it, it was a great, great way to get a, a start out of life. And then you, you had your mother and father there, 24 hours a day, right next to you. So it was wonderful. Yeah, that's so awesome. So you mentioned that you had. I'm also one of four. I might add, I'm the oldest, and I kind of believe in birth order. So I. I would like to say I have natural leadership skills, but my brothers just like to call me bossy. What were your What were your siblings like growing up? Well, my sister was is three years older. God bless her. She still lives out there in Northern California. I had a brother one eleven months younger. Believe it or not, I was born October thirtieth, nineteen thirty six. He was born October twenty second, nineteen thirty seven. And then we have a wow. brother. Then we have our youngest brother Al, who is uh, nine years younger. Anyway. Uh, you know, we were very, very close then, and we are very, very close today. And we get to share times together. And my brother, Stan, who's just 11 months younger than I am, we have restored some old race cars that my father had as a hobby. We restored those together. So we're always in, we're always communicating. Yeah, that's so cool. So in high school, were you more into sports or were you more into kind of like the mechanic side of stuff? Well, you know, in high school, when I went into high school, I, I didn't want to, I didn't like school that much. I did it because I had to, it was required. I was already working in my dad's garage. You know, you start out cleaning parts and then you'd learn how to do the other minor jobs. And But anyway, and you grow up and in that environment. And my dad's avocation was auto racing. He didn't drive them, but he built the cars and ran the association. And all of a sudden I wanted to be a race driver. Okay. An old fashioned waste driver. And a probably would have taken that path if my senior year in high school, a young coach coming out of college got his first job in Calistoga. He came out of College of Pacific, which is now called University of Pacific in Stockton, became our head football coach. And I really, he really enlightened me. You know, he really motivated me, stimulated me. And he was told me, he told me, you know, you could play college football if you'd like to. And I, I, no one ever told me that. I didn't have that kind of expectation or vision. And that excited me. And then I got really involved in, in the game itself and why you do things and how you do things, all stimulated by him. And so I decided I would go to junior college and catch up academically and then go on to college if I could from there, which I did. I went on to San Jose State. I walked on without a football scholarship and earned one my uh, uh, first semester there and also got married as I left junior college to my wife, Carol. <laughs> we were 19 years old. We've been married 65 years. And, uh, and she went with me and she, she went to work in the telephone company, was working there. And uh, I went on to school, played football, and then stayed in school and got my master's in general secondary credential so I could go into high school teaching and coaching. I, did, I was an assistant coach one year in 1969 at Del Mar High School. And in, in Campbell School District in, in the San Jose region. And I was a head track coach then. And then the next year I got the head coaching job at Hillsdale High School in San Mateo, right across from the San Francisco International Airport right there. And spent three years there and then went into the junior college here as an assistant one year. Then I went back to Napa College as the head football coach for six months. And Stanford called me and offered me the freshman coaching job at Stanford. So I took it. And uh, we were there for four years. And then I left there and went to the, the Los Angeles Rams as the first 
special teams coach ever hired in the National Football League, 1969. And I went from there, the offensive coordinator at UCLA, to the head coach at UCLA, to Philadelphia Eagles. That's what we've already talked about, 1976. Awesome. So why did you decide to make the... That's a lot. <laughs> Why did you decide to make the jump from NFL back to college and then back to the NFL? Well, the reason I did that, when I was working at Stanford, I was always very, very impressed with how well coached UCLA was. But Tommy Prothor and his staff, I always thought they had better players. They had they didn't have the players that to beat the teams they were beating. They were just doing a wonderful job of coaching. And then when I was an assistant with George Allen at the Rams and they called me and asked if I wanted to be the offensive coordinator at UCLA, I said, well, this is an opportunity for me to find out why I was asking those questions. How do they do what they do and win games with players aren't as good as ours. And <laughs> so I took the job really to go learn. And I was there one season, one year, and we did okay. And that head coach at UCLA was hired to take the Ram job <laughs> so we went back to the Rams as they're uh, with coach Prothrow as his offensive coordinator. And then the guy that took Prothrow's job at UCLA in 1971, Pepper Rogers was there and he left later to go to Georgia tech to be the head coach, his alma mater. And UCLA called me up and asked me if I wanted to be head coach at UCLA. So I why not? You bet. <laughs> uh, you know, it all, it all sort of worked out some decisions that were some, a little bit hard to make but ended up being real good decisions at the time. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you were in college, did you ever think that you wanted to be anything else other than a football coach? No, I really didn't. No. You know, I look back now and I, I can't think of anything I would have rather done with my career in coaching in some other profession. You know, I, I'm really impressed with the Navy SEAL life. If I had to start over again, I would love to see if I could do that because I'm stimulated by what it takes. And it's always fun to test yourself to find out if you can do what the best do. I probably couldn't, but I've thought of that. I've thought of like FBI, uh, Secret Service, if I wasn't a coach, that would interest me, those kinds of things. But uh, really my passion for coaching football is what moved me out of high school coaching because I didn't want to be in the classroom teaching. My first year I taught English, freshman <laughs> orientation. And then my next years, I taught high school physical education. And, and I was more interested in the football side of it and not as excited about the physical education side of it. So I kept moving my interest toward coaching football where you didn't have to teach in the classroom. Yeah. What, what made you like teaching football better than teaching in the classroom? I, I think the intricacy of the game and the design of 11 people against 11 people, the manipulation, that fascinated me. And, you know, when you're young, you always think you know more than the older people in the same profession. Of course, I, you know, you later you find out you were not. But I really enjoyed, especially the offensive side, like playing checkers, moving down the field and manipulating and putting your team in a position to move the ball against the defensive team. And it, it, I just couldn't turn that thought. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, start drawing stuff, you know. I, and then I yeah, later, I'd carry a tablet in my pocket. You know, I'd get a thought. I'd write it down and put it back in my pocket. It, was just, it sort of consumed my thinking. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I always kind of hear about getting in the flow state, which just means they talk about it a lot like with athletes, but I'm sure it has something to do with coaching as well with once you're just in the flow of something like so infatuated by it and that's what consumes you and that's what drives you and that's when like the best yeah. outcomes can occur. What do you yeah, well, think? The flow thing, Rachel, that's a, that's a great term because I've, I've recognized that in my career and other people's career. The flow is created by when your ambition, your motivation, your self-discipline and your vision all come together and create a process for you to go ahead and work toward that. And when it's really going well, you're, you're in flow, you know, and I've, I've like my Super Bowl team with the Rams in, in 1999, that whole organization was in, in what you use the term flow. They it's just amazing how things all came together and flowed collectively so well. You know, I was never able to achieve that same level again, close in Kansas City. But it was an amazing feeling when, when people collectively flow. It is amazing. I think they experience it in, in military worlds and that kind of stuff. But it was it was something you really could feel and recognize. That's so cool. What do you think your favorite level of coaching was then? Well, I would say the NFL. Really, I loved all levels. You know, I have close friends I coached in high school in 1960. Okay, and some of them uh, achieved remarkable things. I mean, one guy has the number one geophysics textbook in college football. He was the captain of my high school team. Another guy's on the Board of Regents at USC. Another guy's the leading, or what do they call them? Surgeons, emergency surgeons in Southern wow. California. Yeah, just wonderful. Yeah, kids, you know, in, in pro football. But in pro football, it was all football. And the kids are older, more mature. You can bring them home, talk to them about things. They bring their wives, you pour them a glass of wine. You sit, you know, you could, you have time to really get involved in their lives and get to know them better and maybe help, help create thinking that would help them in the future as well. You know, and, and not that I didn't love high school coaching. I did. And like I said, in junior college, UCLA, I love that and those kids and that stuff, but it's all football in the NFL. And on the salaries are so much better too, as well. Yeah. Especially so, today. Not so much when I was coaching oh, early in my career. Yeah. I always see like the most the highest paid, highest paid sports and things like that. And always football obviously consistently goes to the top, which is it's crazy to see too how much sports salaries have changed throughout the years. Obviously, I'm nowhere close to sports. I am more in like that finance side of the world, but I was reading an article about like the different types of like salaries throughout the years for like investment banking. And then it goes to like the different types of salaries throughout the year for an NFL player. And it's just like, it was a really, really cool article. I'll yeah. have to show you yeah. it. Just salaries yeah. escalating to the point of, oh, you can't even believe it. <laughs> Seriously, they have. So obviously like you moved around a ton for these positions and I'm, I'm guessing that you loved California from how highly you spoke of it was moving around like this. So difficult for you? Well, the moving around was more difficult for my family. You know, I think two of our three kids went to three high schools, you know, and that's tough. That's tough on them. It really is. But as we look back, if we hadn't made the moves, we wouldn't have the same son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and these <laughs> kind of things that we have now if we'd have stayed in California, you know, and we wouldn't own a hundred acres of ground in Chester County that we, you wouldn't own a hundred acres of ground in Napa Valley. I'll tell you, there's yeah. totally different price level and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so in reality, I also think moving kids around 
helps develop a higher degree of uh, maturity earlier. They learn to accept and change. They learn to adapt to new environments. They learn to adjust to new personalities, the new schedules, new routines, new weather. Sometimes it takes a while. I know it took my wife, Carol, a, a good year. I mean, she hated it back here. She couldn't. <laughs> She hated the grocery stores. She hated everything. The weather uh, just wasn't the same as it was in California when, when we left Southern California, especially. So, but I think in the in the long run, it is an educational maturing experience for each child within the move. I really do. Yeah, I I also actually had three high schools. One called Wiesbaden, one called Heidelberg, and my third um, here in Baltimore called Centennial, where I luckily got to do my junior and senior year together, which yeah. was awesome. Because if I had to pick any two years of college to, or excuse me, two yeah. years of high school to do together, I feel like yeah. junior and senior year are nice because you know those are the years you get prom and things like that. And growing up, I'm sure you already know this, but my dad's in the military, so we yeah. moved. I moved. Oh my gosh, probably nine times but I honestly don't even remember and I completely agree with you it definitely made I might think my whole family I mean mature a lot a lot more quickly kind of similar to you with having a big age gap between me and my siblings too my sister's six years younger than me and seeing how different she is she's now lived in Maryland as my dad's retired for quite a few years and just seeing how different her life is she didn't really get to experience like the whole moving around a lot having different high schools and definitely like you said just being in a different environment going from germany to maryland is like huge yeah. in oh, yeah. germany it's free it's it was pretty cold pretty darn cold there and then coming here and having this like insane humidity 24 7 i remember i tried out for a soccer team when I moved back to the States and my, we had to like run a mile time, I think. And I was like obsessed with long distance running in high school. So I was like, oh, this will be no problem. And it was my first time running in humidity. And of course I added like a minute and 30 seconds to my mile time just from changing environments. So yeah, moving around is definitely, definitely an interesting experience. Is football one of those things that's geographic? So it's completely different, like depending on the environment you're in. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so do you like one uh, coaching football in a certain environment? Well, you know, the NFL, there's 32 teams, you know, and they're spread around and there's, you know, Pennsylvania's got Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, and both of them are in almost the same weather conditions. Yeah. The weather conditions in Kansas city were almost a little worse than here. In oh man. Overall seasonal thing. In Kansas City, we had an indoor facility. At the St. Louis Rams, we had an indoor facility to work in. But in Southern California, it was sunny. <laughs> you know, easy, easy to plan your routines and that kind of stuff. So I, if I had a choice, I would rather live in California because of the environment. It's getting a little too liberal for me. Now, as I get old and, and look at the things they do and how they do them and uh, all the different things, it's still a great place to live. And especially true from the weather standpoint and the variety of things you can do in the state of California are great. You know, if you want to go skiing, you get in a car and drive three hours. You know, yeah. if you want to go to the ocean, you get and drive two hours. If you want to go to the, the beautiful lakes, you live. If you want to go hunting in Sacramento Valley, it's here. If you want to go deer hunting in Shasta County, I mean, it's, it's, you can do about anything you want to do easily. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. What do you think's holding you then? And you're obviously your land in, Chester County is absolutely beautiful. So besides that, what's keeping you in Chester County? Well, number one, I established a career with the Eagles 
And when I left coaching, I, I left because I was what I initiated the term burned out. I just, I allowed a, a passion to become an obsession and I couldn't turn it off. And both my wife and I decided the only way to turn it off is to leave it for a year and then go back. And we had success. So I, I felt I would be able to get another job if I left and then we'd move to there. And then I got out and CBS offered me a contract to broadcast football. And I went from making $75,000 a year to $150,000 a year working 16 weekends. <laughs> so it was, it was stealing for a living. So, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. I just decided I'm going to stay doing this. We, we bought a hundred acres of ground for $3,500 an acre, which we live on today. Okay. And that 1984. What? And, and I, you know, you, no way could you do that in California, even then. And so we built a home on it in 87, where we still live. When mm -hmm. I went back into coaching after 14 years, we just locked it up. My two sons live nearby with their families. And our daughter lives both now in California and, and Florida. But this place was all paid for, no mortgages. And I had opportunities in those 14 years to go coach other NFL teams, and I turned them down. And finally, when the Rams came back to me, who I'd worked for for four, and they had offered me the job during my years in broadcasting each time it opened, and I wouldn't go. And finally, I said to myself, well, if I don't go back now, it'll be too late. I'll never go back. So I went back, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that they offered me that opportunity. And so, and then I retired after we won it all, thinking I'd come home and be with my families. And then the Chiefs came after me. <laughs> Uh, the president of the chiefs had worked for me at UCLA. He had worked for me. Oh, okay. So we had a personal connection and his ability to convince me it would be the right thing to do to come to Kansas city was a good thing to do. And it was, I really, really enjoyed the experience. And then 2006, we came home here we are. You know, awesome. So, That's so cool. Yeah. And this, you know, every once in a while I've, I've thought about going back to California because of our wine business, the Vermeer wines, which was a hobby and my yeah. friend real money turned it into a business. And now we have to work at it. And right now it's going okay. We have make great wines, but not a lot of it. And I've thought about going back and being daily involved in, in the hands-on of everything. And it's just so hard to leave here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just, I imagine. Once you're, you're family. Together, you know? yeah. yeah. I totally get that. I was just going to say, I've only known you. So I've known you now. I think the first time I met you was about three years ago. So I've only known you since life after coaching. I mean, honestly, I didn't, I don't, obviously from this conversation, you could probably tell not huge into football. Don't know too much about it. So yeah. I have, we have a bottle of Vermeil wine in our house right now. And I thought that's what, that's what you did. I thought Vermeil wines was your, your full-time yeah. thing, Thought that's what you did your whole life, which I think is really cool. But I guess obviously that is, was a post post coaching hobby, like you said, of yours. So yeah. When did you decide to kind of take that on? Well, you know, I grew up in that environment. My grandfather, Vermeil, made all our family wines. And we got the grapes from the Freddie Annie Vineyard, which the Italian side of my family owned part of it at one time. The Freddie Annies have had the vineyard for over 100 years. Mrs. Freddie Annie was my babysitter from the day I was born, okay. Uh, she's now passed on as well, but the four kids still run the 170 acre vineyard. We picked, wow. we picked my great grandfather's old vineyard to make our wines and other parts of the vineyard as well. So, you know, it was, it was in my blood and I enjoyed helping my grandfather with the process. And I enjoyed listening to the adults talk about the, the, 
the wines and the qualities and the textures and the, the, the aromas and the tastes and and what year and what vintage and why this one's better than this one. And I, and then you go with your grandfather and help him move wine from barrel to barrel by sucking on the hose and then moving it over <laughs> there and get in the press and press the grapes. I just felt someday, since my family loved wine so much, I'd love to have put my family name, which came from the south of France, put their name on a wine bottle just for fun. And I did it, started it, first bottle was, uh, vintage was 1999 and we made about 150 cases with friends. I had no money involved and the wines were good. You know, Freddie Annie grapes, Freddie Annie families making the wine. And uh, we did that all the way up to 2008 when some friends, business people, entrepreneurs and business people wanted to be involved in the Napa Valley wine world. <clears throat> and they asked me if we could take my process, my people, my organization and turn it into a full-fledged business. So they basically put the money in it to do it. And we don't own a winery, we custom crush. We don't own the vineyard, but I feel like I do. You know, I was born and raised in it, worked in it as a kid and have been involved with the family all my life. And, and that's what we do. Now we make 2,500 cases. It's, it's not inexpensive wine. It's, it's, in, it's on the expensive side, but it's on the quality side, high quality side. We're getting a B plus, A minus grades on everything we make today. And we have some outstanding clientele in terms of real knowledgeable connoisseurs of wine. We don't wholesale much wine because there's with low volume, you just can't wholesale your wine. Yeah. There's a little bit out there, but not a lot. It just, it costs you, it almost costs you money to sell your wine wholesale. When you, if you're making 50,000 cases, 30,000, 20,000 cases, you can do those kind of things. And we stay a more strict person to person. We have about 350 plus wine club members right now. We want to get it eventually to about 500. And then probably 90% of our wine will go direct to the wine club members then. And that's where the direction we're going. Awesome. That's so cool to hear about. I like, that's cool that you were able to really um, capture on a hobby after coaching, because I feel like coaching, obviously, like you said, kind of was your entire life. And I feel like that coming out of that, like that transition must have been kind of difficult. And it's cool that you were able to capitalize like on a different hobby that's so different than sports. Was the transition out of coaching difficult? You know, not, it was the first time because I forced myself out, you know, but after that, no, you know, it was not difficult because I, I knew it was behind me. I think it was almost 70 years old when I left. It, it was time and and I enjoyed the speaking engagements. They paid well. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the preparation. I enjoyed the thinking. I enjoyed enjoyed very much adapting leadership in the athletic world to the business world. I've got a couple scheduled within the next couple of weeks that are coming back now. I've done some virtual speaking things for large companies and it's fun. And yeah. uh, it forces you to think. And, you know, and it also gives you something to continually study. I'm always reading leadership things, mostly from the military side, the Navy SEAL side, and these kinds of books, rather than just the college textbook. I enjoy reading what guys in intense situations have done and how they've handled it. And, and it, I've, it's enhanced my thinking in regard to what I, I wish I could go back and do some things over today because I've learned more about it because I didn't have time to study it at that time. I was just doing what came natural to me, you know, and correcting my own mistakes as I moved on. But no, I, and also it gave me time. I like to, I love to hunt. I really mm -hmm. love, I don't hunt as much as I love to hunt. 
but the boys are too uh, uh, busy. And when I can hunt, they can hunt. I can't hunt. When I can fish, they can't fish and these kinds oh. of things. But I, I enjoy that environment. I go to Montana once a year for seven days and hunt five days. And uh, that's a wonderful experience way back in the woods. I've hunted with the same six other guys for seven out of the last nine years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Yeah, that, that's so you know, cool. Those are all great things that enhance your life that you could not do when you were coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, especially with something that's not like a normal nine to five, not having, you know, weekends must have been a little bit frustrating, especially on this on the sense where like the rest of your friends and peers maybe from home are doing more traditional jobs i think that would i don't know how i would how i would do with that was it was there any days off in coaching during the season no days off oh my goodness See, i don't know seven, if i could do that you go from early august until the middle of january and if you're yeah. really good into february with no okay. days with no oh my days goodness. Off. No, it's, it's, it's pressure and long hours and long hours. But that's, you know, that's when you get into an area in your life, in a career in your life, when everybody's really good, it's hard to find a way to be better. Yeah. <laughs> you, and, and there's no easy way, you know, and I've always tried to teach my players, you know, hard work isn't a form of punishment. It's a solution, you know. Oh, and I this, like that. This, this is how you get better because yeah. everybody's good. But the one thing you can do is you can outwork somebody. It's it's easier to outwork them than outsmart them. It really is. I feel like that. I don't know if I'd be able to do a position. I think I could do the mental stamina that doing like a professional sport would take, like the mental side. I think I'm a mentally strong person, but being physically and mentally strong at the same time sounds incredibly draining. Like, I feel like on top of all that, like those two scenarios together, I think would just be like the ultimate, just how you get burnout, kind of like you mentioned before. Well, you know, you, you are fortunate in that your father's career moved you all around, including into Europe. And those kind of experiences put you ahead at a maturity level of handling change, put you ahead of the game. See, for me, for people who always said to me, how do you handle the stress? Well, I couldn't handle the, the, the level of stress in the NFL today if I hadn't been able to handle a little stress in high school. And you gradually, high school, junior college, college, pro football, you, you gradually <laughs> learn and develop within yourself how to handle it and yeah. how to use it really stress is a good thing. It, it, it's a signal that you're doing something that's intense and going to make you better and maybe help everybody else get better. You know, you don't want to run away from it, but you don't want to let it overpower you so you can't function properly. Yeah. And so I always felt I sort of matured correctly into the level of coaching I ended up being. And I feel sorry for coaches that become head coaches in the NFL that have never had been a head coach before. It's as soon as you put that number H-E-A-D in front of you, it changes. Yeah. You know, it's, now you're, you're not taking orders. You're organizing, giving and directing, and you know, uh, orders. And it's different, you know. After, I feel like the best thing that you said just there was about, about stress and not letting it consume you. I feel like that's a very relatable thing. I agree with a little bit of stress, not even a little bit of stress, but stress in general, I, I do agree with is a good thing. That also might just be because I think I work really well under pressure. And I think people that do like work well under pressure do well in careers similar 
to to coaching football and coaching and teaching in general and doing things where you kind of have to think a little bit more quickly than you would maybe in something that you were given direction in. Obviously, as a coach, like you said, like it's a big leadership position. And if you work well in a stressful atmosphere, I think that that definitely leads to being a great leader naturally. Do you still watch football? Yeah. Pardon? I said, do you still watch football oh, after yeah, all this? You yeah. You I, do? <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I do all the time. Yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy the game. And I, I watch it n- not as technical as I used to watch it. I watch it more for enjoyment. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I, I study it. And I, I stay in touch with friends that are in coaching yet, assistants that work for me, and young coaches that I've tried to help as they got started in their head coaching positions and that kind of stuff. But no, I... I I don't think I could excel in any other profession other than I was in. I often tease people saying, hell, the only way I could get in West Point would be coach your football team. <laughs> you know, I, I could get, I could coach your football team, but I couldn't get in there academically, you know, but, but you put me in an environment and give me an opportunity to work at getting it done. I would, I think I could get it done. And that's the advantage to the kind of career that I select. I, I don't think I could go be a lawyer. I don't enjoy that kind of study that much. I don't think I could go be a, a doctor because I don't enjoy that intense educational process. But give me a football team to coach. I, I can I can figure that out. <laughs> Make that work somehow. Yeah. Well, yeah. those are all the questions I had for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. No, it was fun, Rachel. Yeah. Awesome. Just, when are we going to see you again here? Oh, honestly, 